0: please turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15. I'm jumping the gun, I think. Luke chapter 15, and as you turn there, uh, just a reminder that at the conclusion of our message this morning, uh, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're going to be partaking of communion together as a church, and so I would encourage you even now, as we prepare to read God's Word together, and as we pray together, and as we begin to look at Luke chapter 15 together, I'd encourage you to be using this time to prepare your heart to partake of the Lord's Supper together. This is a, a solemn occasion. It's a joyous occasion as we think about the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, His death for us, that enables us to take the truths of His Word and apply them as our hearts are transformed by faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of His death, resurrection for us. And so, uh, please turn with me if or please stand with me now as you're there in Luke chapter 15 as we read verses 1 through 10 together as we continue this series on loving the lost that we began 3 weeks ago verse 1 of Luke chapter 15 now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine who have righteous persons who have no need of repentance. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through his word together this morning. Let's, let's pray. And Father, we are grateful to you for your word, and we're grateful to you for the lost who are in our lives and the joy of seeing those who are lost come to repentance and faith in your son Jesus and give us a great joy as we we talk through these things together this morning as a church, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. There's a novel called The Brothers Karamazov that's written by the Russian writer Dostoevsky, and there's a portion kind of towards the beginning of the novel where Dostoevsky paints this picture of an, an elder in a monastery, and this, this elder is receiving people to talk with, and, and one, of the that, one of the people that he's talking with is this woman, and as he's talking with this woman about her struggle with faith and, and her lack of love for humanity, he shares with her some words that a, a doctor who spoke to him once said. And so the elder says that the doctor that he spoke with one time said this, I love humanity, but I wonder at myself. The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, he said, I have often come to making enthusiastic schemes for the service of humanity, and and perhaps I might actually have faced crucifixion itself if it had been suddenly necessary, and yet, and yet, I am incapable of of living in the same room with anyone for two days together, as I know by experience. As soon as anyone is near me, his personality disturbs my self-complacency and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One, because he's too long over his dinner. Another, because he has a cold and keeps blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me. But, it has always happened, the more I detest men individually, the more ardent my love becomes for humanity. (laughs) The elder says, he's talking to this, this woman, he says, love in dreams or love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. I think that's very relevant for what we're discussing this morning as we continue to go through Luke chapter 15. Love for the lost is relatively easy as long as the lost are in abstract. You know, the lost in abstract and the lost in abstract are are beautiful and, and precious and, and valuable things. Uh, the lost in particular are an unbearable nuisance. In other words, as I think about the lost, and I think about a, a church doing missions, I might be very excited, oh yeah, I'm so excited that my church's involved in, in mission and, and the lost out there somewhere are, are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. or I, we hear a missionary come and, and talk with us about the lost. And oh, I'm so yeah, good job, Go get those lost people. But when it comes to my lost coworker, my enthusiasm wanes. And the idea of exerting effort in order to establish relationship and to exert the effort to actually present the gospel, not that excited about that. Or the the lost person that the missionary saves is a very valuable and precious thing, but my lost neighbor... My again, my excitement wanes as I think about all the effort and the work necessary to establish a relationship and present the gospel, and I don't have the joy as I contemplate that person coming into relationship with God. I mentioned three weeks ago as we began looking at Luke chapter fifteen that the heart of the gospel of Luke really is found here in Luke chapter fifteen. In Luke chapter fifteen, we Learn this. We learn that Jesus Christ, we learn that God the Father really, 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 really loves the lost. God notices the lost. God searches for the lost and that He brings the lost to Himself. And then God rejoices with, with great joy. When the lost come into relationship with him, and what we saw three weeks ago as we began looking at this passage is that that you and I, if we really love the lost, are also going to rejoice when the lost repent. If you and I truly have a love for the lost, like God the Father has a love for the lost, we are going to rejoice when the lost repent and what we saw a few weeks ago as we began looking at Luke chapter fifteen is we saw that this This parable, these parables that Jesus tells are really three parts of one major story and one theme, and that theme is the joy that God has over the lost and the joy that you and I should have when the lost are found, when the lost come into relationship with their Heavenly Father. Remember, we looked at the first three verses a few weeks ago, and what we saw was that Jesus was Uh, was teaching, and we saw in verse 1 that these tax collectors and sinners are coming to Jesus uh, in order to hear him. They're not coming to Jesus in order to uh, encourage him to do bad things. They're not drawn to Jesus because he's kind of on the edge. They're drawn to Jesus by his message of righteousness and the fact we see that also as they come to him, he receives them, he welcomes them. He's excited about them coming into relationship with him the tax the, the um, scribes and the Pharisees, as they see these people come to Jesus, they don't respond with joy. They respond with grumbling. They see these people coming into relationship with Jesus, and the very point of their contention is that Jesus receives such people. And we saw that that word receives means to, to eagerly welcome. And so they see Jesus eagerly welcoming these, these sinners and these tax collectors, and they grumble about it. And that heart attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes, a heart attitude that doesn't rejoice when the lost repent, that heart attitude is what is the occasion for the parables that Jesus tells. That heart attitude that doesn't rejoice when the lost repent is a heart attitude that sets up these parables. It's the heart attitude that is addressed by these stories. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. And we're going to, first of all, look at the parable of the lost sheep. Then secondly, we're going to look at the parable of the lost coin. And as we look at these different parables, we're going to see that there's kind of a a cycle to both of them. There's going to be uh, a noticing that there's something missing, noticing that something's missing. There's going to be a, a searching for that which is missing. And there's going to be a rejoicing when that which is missing found. Uh, We read these parables together last night, and our our youngest, Ellie, said, "Uh, Dad, um, these are kind of the same story, right? I said, that's exactly right. These are kind of the same story. There's noticing that something's lost, noticing that something's missing, then there's searching for that which is missing, and then there's rejoicing when that which is missing is found. So let's begin by looking at the lost sheep, and we begin with this noticing that something is missing. It says in verse 4, what man of you, Jesus is telling this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he, he finds it. And so he sets up this parable where there's a shepherd, and the people that are in Jesus' audience would have understood what he was talking about when he talks about being a shepherd. And he says, uh, there's this shepherd that has 100 sheep, and that would have been a good average-sized flock for a person to have. And at some point, this shepherd, as he's shepherding, notices, as the sheep are kind of gathered back together, notices that one is missing. Now, maybe he like goes around and, and bops them on the head and counts them, or maybe just kind of counts all the feet and then divides by four. Um, somehow, he realizes that one sheep is missing. To notice that something is missing means that that something that's missing has some sort of value to you. We've been on walks before with the kids, and uh, the kids have the, the, this tendency—at least they've, they've had this tendency in the past—to uh, find treasures out of the most um, worthless things. Right? Uh, they'll they'll collect acorns, and and they'll they'll show dad, look. I'm collecting acorns now, and we'll be walking along. Dad, 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 dad. I dropped one of my acorns. I've dropped, and we need to find the acorn. No, no, we we, we don't really. Uh, that has no value. Look, here's another one. Okay, to to notice that something is missing, it-, it needs to have value for us. A few weeks ago, I was speaking at a conference at, at this church, and and uh, I was I was getting ready to leave, and I kind of I I kind of patted down my my pockets and and. I, I don't have my, my wallet. Um, that's a bad thing. And so I, I, you know, asking people, hey, have you seen this wallet? Have you seen this wallet? Um, and it turns out I left it at home. But um, I noticed it was missing because it had value. For us to notice that something is not where, it, it, where we thought it was means that that, that that object has some sort of value for us. The people that are listening to Jesus tell this parable would have immediately understood the value of a lost sheep. The shepherd values the sheep, and so the shepherd notices and is aware of the fact that the sheep is missing. That brings us to kind of the next phase of the story. As this shepherd realizes that the sheep is missing, what does he do? He searches for it. He searches for it. And again, the audience would have understood, look, that's the responsibility of, of a shepherd. No one would question that a shepherd had a responsibility to, to find and, and, and search out that, that sheep. So he leaves the 99 there in the open country, and he goes, and he goes on a very time-consuming, sometimes a very dangerous task, of finding that lost sheep, searching for it. Whenever I was uh, four years old, I can remember we were, I think we were living in, in Tennessee at the time for, for a few months, and my dad was working on this, this construction site or this, this some sort of uh, uh, thing. And I was four years old, and um, we, he came home, and he, he told my mom, I, I lost my, my college ring, and we all, after we were able to get back up to the, the job site, we got like a metal detector, and, you know, at 9 o'clock, and I can just remember this being really late, way past my bedtime, we're out searching this construction site to, to find my dad's lost ring, searching and searching and searching it and not finding it. Uh, Kent Hughes, as, as he's talking about this passage, tells of a story whenever uh, he was about five years old. His, his mother had been widowed for about a year. His, his father had passed away a year ago, and as she was taking him to the park, and playing on the, the merry-go-round and things like that, uh, her wedding ring slipped off her finger. And he says he can remember his, his mother just weeping and weeping as her as she futilely searched through the sand on the playground trying to find that lost ring. The shepherd values the sheep. If something doesn't have value, you, you don't search for it. But if something has value, you look for it, and you look for it, and you look for it, and you look for it, because you desperately desire for it to be found. The sheep has value for the shepherd, and so he looks for it, and he looks for it, and he looks for it, and that brings us to the third thing that we see. He searches for it until the sheep is found. And then we see here, Jesus says, when, he found his, when, he, when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder, and so the, the sheep would kind of be draped across his shoulders, the legs would be right here, kind of cl- they'd hold close to his chest, and he would walk that sheep back to the rest of the sheep. And, and Jesus says, when he comes home, as, as he lays it on his shoulder, he's, he's rejoicing. There's, there's joy in, in the finding of that which is lost. And that joy uh, isn't a joy that he can contain within himself. As he comes home and he, he finds his friends and he finds his family, there's this, this communal celebration. He says, Re, rejoice with me. Uh, my, my joy isn't just self-contained. Rejoice with me for I I've, I've found this lost sheep. I found the sheep that was lost. And then Jesus tells us that here's the point of comparison. A Sheep isn't as valuable as a person, right? And so he says in, in verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. A sheep is more valuable than person. And I believe he's maybe even being a little bit sarcastic because he talks about these 99 who need no repentance. He's referring to these grumblers perhaps. But there is a joy in heaven as the lost person is found. The lost person has value. And so you, you notice when something of value is missing you search for something that has value, and then you rejoice when that which has value is found. Look at verse 8. We come to the second part of this, these three parables. We find here the lost coin, the lost coin. Verse 8, "...or what woman having ten silver coins, if if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and, and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, "...rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And again, we see this cycle, right? There's something that is lost that has value. There's, there's the, the finding, there's the searching, and then there's the finding. Now, whenever we were talking about this story again last night with our kids, um, one of our, our sons said, No, hold on, Dad. A coin? Uh, that doesn't really seem like all that valuable a thing, right? I mean we have lots of coins. And then um, I think his point is, is a good one in the sense that sometimes it's hard for us to understand kind of the cultural, because of the cultural chasm that exists between our world and, and, and that world. And uh, my oldest daughter, she said, well, um, perhaps it had more value because they made fewer coins at that time. And I'm like, wow, she understands monetary policy and inflation. Um, now I know where all those Ron Paul bumper stickers have been appearing from. Uh, I said, no, th- th- there's, there's some truth to that. This, this did have value. This did have value. It had greater value than one of our, our coins today. A silver coin would probably have been worth about a, a day's wages. And, and this was probably a, a very poor person. And Jesus doesn't go into specifics, but some have said, well, perhaps this was a woman and this was her, her dowry. These were her this is what she had to kind of sustain herself in a tough circumstance. And, and maybe this is a circumstance that, that has gotten tough. And so she, she pulls out this little pouch in which she has these 10 coins and she looks at this, at the, kind of spreads out the cloth and she looks at it and it looks like one's missing. And sure enough, she counts them and she counts them again and she says, Oh my goodness. And she begins to maybe I just get, fell into one of the, the folds of this cloth and she can't find the missing coin. She, first of all, what? Notices that something that has value isn't where it's supposed to be. It's it's lost. If it didn't have value, she wouldn't notice. But it has value, and, she, and so she notices. In this culture, uh, she, she probably lived in a home that, that wasn't very large, didn't have a lot of natural light in her, entering through the window. Um, the floor would have been made of, of stones that were kind of pieced together, and there would have been cracks in between the stones. And sometimes archaeologists are able to go into these homes, and they're able to look in between the cracks, and they can kind of tell when the house was built based upon the coins they find stuck underneath there, or based upon the, 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 the pieces of, of pottery or jars that have, that have broken on the floor and then fallen in the cracks, which, which tells us that, that ancient children were also very clumsy. Um, so they, they find these broken pieces of pottery that you know, a kid dropped or something. They find these coins, and they're able to, to see how old the, the home was. This woman, as she lights the lamp, begins to, to look around. This lamp wouldn't have flooded the room with light. It would have kind of had this, this light just around the immediate area. And so she begins to look around. This, this isn't helper, so she puts the lamp down, and then she grabs a broom, and she begins to, to, to sweep this, this area, trying to hear the, the clatter of a coin, as, as she goes into all the crevices, going in between the cracks, trying to find that coin. And why does she search so diligently? Again, because the coin has value. She becomes this, this flurry of activity. She's lighting a lamp. She's sweeping the house. She seek, seeks diligently She she searches. She's in danger if this valuable coin isn't found. And then we come to the rejoicing again, right? As she finds the coin, as she finds the coin, again, just like the shepherd, there's immediate joy that causes her to let other people know about what has happened She says, rejoice with me, she says to her friends and to her neighbors, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then he says, here's the point, verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's joy in heaven, he said, as he talked about the sheep being found. There's joy among the angels and the presence of the angels over simply one sinner who repents a sinner who's found did you know that the angels get really really excited about God's plan of redemption did you know that luke chapter 2 we remember we find the story of the the birth of of jesus and Angels talking to the shepherds, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then what happened? The angel left and said, Well, I think I'm done here. I gotta get back up to heaven. I uh, will see you guys later, maybe we'll see. Oh, wait, we've got this one other thing we have to do. No, no, no! What happens next? It says in the text: Suddenly, immediately, there's with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, exalting God. As this this message of of the arrival of the Redeemer has has just been been given, the angels are, are in the the multitude of angels are engaged in worshiping God, and and they say this, verse fourteen: Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased and the angels aren't reluctant in order to, to engage in this praise. The angels uh, the angels who, who don't sin are engaged in worship of God because they are excited about God and they, they love to sing God to proclaim God's praises. We see this also in First Peter. 1 Peter's talking about the Old Testament prophets, and, and he says it was revealed to these Old Testament prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then listen to this phrase. He says, things into which angels long to look. Did you know that angels have desires? Angels have, 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 have things that they want to do. And because they don't sin, these desires are in perfect accordance with God's will. Angels in heaven, as they await the playing out of God's redemptive plan, are excited about it. They long to see it fulfilled more completely. They have this this passionate desire to, to see God's plan of redemption worked out. And so what we see in the Old Testament is angels, as they heard these Old Testament prophets, they're like, oh, this is good stuff. God is going to redeem his, his I don't understand how, this, I, I want to find this out. What, what's this Messiah thing? I don't understand it. They longed to look at these things and understand it. And now what do we see here in Jesus' words in Luke 15? As a person who's lost comes into relationship with God, what do the angels do? All right, God's redemptive plan is continuing to be established. Yay, God! Continue to do it. Do you want to be shown up by a bunch of angels? I don't want to be shown up by a bunch of angels. The angels see God's redemptive plan played out, they see lost sinners coming into relationship with God and they get excited. Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talks about how he will confess the Perseverer's name before my Father and before his angels. The angels are going to get excited about that. And then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, John says, I looked, and I, this is him seeing this scene in heaven, I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, these are the the myriads of angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's the angels. That's the angels. As they see God's plan of redemption played out. Lost sheep, one of a hundred, has value, so it's noticed, it's searched for, and there's rejoicing when it's found. A lost coin, one of, one of ten coins, it's noticed that it's missing, there's searching for it until it's found, and then there's rejoicing as that which is lost is found. Do you and I love the lost? Do you and I love that, those who are lost? Let's ask ourselves three questions here as we kind of think about applying these two parables in our own lives and asking whether or not we have a value for those who are lost. First question, first question as we think about whether or not you and I love the lost, uh, do I notice the lost? Do I notice that the lost are even missing? There's a danger, I think, at Bethany Community Church of us looking around this room and us thinking about what's taken place this last year and thinking about what's maybe going to take place this next year and say, you know what? We're doing pretty good. We've got this church thing down. I mean, we like each other. uh, Our family's happy here. We've got a lot of neat things going on in our our church. I I think we've arrived. I think we're doing okay. And as we think about our relationship with God, it becomes all about what's taking place within the walls of this church. As opposed to saying, yeah, I'm excited about the things that are going on within the walls of this church, and and yet at the same time, there are a lot of people around me who don't know the Lord, who aren't walking in relationship with Him. The kids have this game that they like me to play with them, and and it, it's kind of a game that um, it drives me a little crazy. Um, what, what the game? The game is called like. Uh, dad's a moron, kind of. I don't know. That's not the technical name. But what I do is, as uh, the kids say, dad, you uh, know, put me on your back. And so I put them on my back. And and then uh, I pretend, <laughs> I don't understand the appeal of this game. Uh, then I pretend like, I don't know where they are. <laughs> and so I put them on my back. I go, where's Noah? I don't see him. I can't. And then, oh, it's hilarious. And, and, uh, you know, then I'm, I'm looking around and you guys have played this with your kids before. If you have kids or you're, you're a kid and you enjoy, you know, you're 18, you still enjoy playing it with your dad or whatever. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, then I, then I, I find the kid, right? Oh, dad suddenly gets his brain back and finds the child and, and, they're, oh, it's so hilarious. And then the next kid, can I have a turn now? I'm like, hold on. Like you guys know, I know where you are, right? Like I, I know that you're actually on my back. I don't want to spoil the, the magic. I understood as you were like a two-year-old or a one-year-old, but, but I, 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 Dad knows. But they think it's just hilarious, all right? Now, for me to really not know where my child would be uh, when they're on my back, I'd be missing the obvious. Sometimes we play the invisible game with the lost around us. Where are the lost? I don't know. I don't see them, yeah, you do. You just don't value them. You don't love them. The lost and abstract, oh, I, I give to missions and I'm excited about missionaries and all these things, but I, oh, the, the lost in my life? Yeah, I don't know if I know any lost people. I don't really have a relationship with any people who are lost. You know, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have understood that. He had a, a great love for those who were lost. In fact, if you if you turn your Bible to, if you turn your Bibles to um, Romans chapter 9, so you turn over just a couple books to Romans chapter 9, you encounter some words of, of Paul here that are, are very powerful. He says, I, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And listen to how he describes his heart attitude toward the lost. I I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Do you think Paul noticed those around him and was aware of their lack of relationship with God? Yeah, absolutely. He he describes it as an an unceasing anguish in his heart. In fact, turn over just a couple more chapters to, to chapter 15 in the book of Romans. And we see that this extends not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as, as well. He's, he's talking about, um, he says in verse 18, he says, I, I will not venture, this is uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 18, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by, by word and by deed. And then verse 20, he says, and thus." I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, listen to this, what he says about about the, the lost, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. The Apostle Paul loves the lost, and it's manifested in an unceasing anguish as he considers those who are closest to him who don't know the gospel. And it's manifested by by a compulsion to proclaim the gospel to those who who have never heard it. So if you want to know whether or not these parables that Jesus is speaking here, if these parables are to you, an important question to ask yourself is, well, well, do I love the lost? And if I love the lost, then I notice the lost. Do I notice the lost? Do I notice those around me who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who haven't been reconciled to God? Second question that I'd encourage us to think about here. So we think about whether or not we love the lost second question is is this: uh, do I seek the lost? do I seek the lost? There's an interesting parallel that Jesus draws here between this shepherd and God the Father and this woman and God the Father and, and the parallel isn't exact of course there are some points of difference between a a woman who can't find a coin and, and God the Father who knows where everything is but this would have been a very strange idea, the idea that God proactively works to bring the lost back into relationship with him. That would have been a very strange idea for the Pharisees. In fact, let's, uh, let's do this. Why don't you turn back to the book of Ezekiel with me? If you're in, uh, you kind of go to the middle of your Bible, there's Psalms, and it's after Psalms, Proverbs. It's after uh, Song of Solomon, and it's, it's after Isaiah and, and uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Then you come to the book of, of Ezekiel, and uh, turn to Ezekiel 34 with me, if you would. And as you turn there... Let me just read a, another verse, Psalm twenty-eight nine. It says, "Oh, save your people, and, and that's he's speaking to God here. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever." That's that's the psalmist's words to God. Uh, Isaiah forty eleven says, "God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will he will gather, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young." The point is God is proactive in bringing the lost into relationship with him. And in Ezekiel 34, we have what I believe are some of the most convicting words in all of Scripture to those of us who are in leadership of a church or those of us who are are in any form of, of leadership, spiritual leadership over others. Here in Ezekiel 34, we see a contrast between the leaders of Israel and with God the Father, and it's the same contrast that could be drawn between the Pharisees and scribes and Jesus. Look what uh, God says through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34. Verse 2, he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak sheep you've not strengthened. The sick you've not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with, a, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. What does a bad shepherd do? A bad shepherd doesn't search for the lost because the bad shepherd doesn't love sheep. That's contrasted with the picture of God in Ezekiel 34. Verse 11 Thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness." You see the difference in shepherds there the wicked shepherd doesn't seek after the lost the wicked shepherd the wicked person there is unconcerned with the status of lost sheep god our great shepherd seeks out the lost and brings them into relationship with him. And what we're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke that the culmination of God's redemptive work is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and the Pharisees, of course, are going to be confused by this. They're not going to understand the, the value that God places upon the lost. They're not going to understand the value of those who are lost. This past week, Maybe you noticed that uh, Facebook made an interesting purchase. Uh, Facebook paid $1 billion for a two-year-old startup company called Instagram that has you know, some sort of photo-sharing site. And uh, you, you think, well, wow, that's a lot of money to pay for a company. And, and yes, you are right, it is, especially uh, this company had zero revenue. Th- they made no money. And Facebook paid $1 billion for this company. Now, why would Facebook pay $1 billion for this company? Because they placed $1 billion with a value in it. Facebook doesn't want to just be a player in the social media world, they want to crush everyone and be the player in the social media world. They recognize the value of something that maybe other people wouldn't find value in. Do I value the lost? Do I love the lost? I notice. I I know that I love if I notice them and if I seek them. And third question to ask ourselves here as we we look at Luke 15 and these first two parables, do I rejoice when the lost are found? Do I rejoice when the lost are found? And parable here, we see this, this great rejoicing that takes place whenever the shepherd finds his, his, his sheep, and it's it's a rejoicing that cannot be contained, and he wants to tell other, other people the same with the woman. As, as she encounters this lost, finds this lost coin, it's a, a joy that, that can't be contained. God, whenever he finds those who are lost, re- rejoices. In Deuteronomy 30, uh, he's Moses is talking, him, God's talking through Moses about the, the time of, of when the people are going to be scattered, they're going to be cursed. And, and then uh, God says, um, He says, uh, when I've said before this, is verse 1, He says, You call them to mind all the things that I've taught you uh, when you're among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you out, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today. Verse 3 Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God. Has scattered you. If your outcasts are are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and there He will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And He says that. Uh, you will, you'll, you'll do this so you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments. The Lord will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand and the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your cattle. The Lord will again take delight in prospering you when you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God gets excited about the lost being found. Think about the last time you felt great joy and excitement, just delirious joy. For me, it was 1992. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I can remember in 1992, the, the Dallas Cowboys were playing the San Francisco 49ers for the NFC Championship game. And the the Cowboys, uh, this may be hard to imagine, but they have been terrible for years. And um, here in 1992, they were, they were playing their foes, the San Francisco 49ers. And I can remember just being in this, in this living room with everyone watching, all my friends watching this game and uh, and, and the, the Cowboys beat the 49ers, and there was just like delirious joy as we realized we were going to the Super Bowl, uh, we being the Dallas Cowboys. But, but still, you felt like you were a part of it, and there was, there was joy, and there was emotional reaction. As you contemplate the lost, do you have delirious joys? you think about them entering into relationship with God? I want us just to take a few minutes as we prepare our hearts to take communion. And as we we take just a few moments to, to prepare our hearts, what I'd like you to do is this. I'd like you to think about your love for God, first of all. Do you have a love for God? Have you entered into a relationship with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone? Are you a Christian? And as you think about how God has brought you into relationship, with him, as he has searched for you in the sense of, of finding you and changing your heart and bringing you into a to, to relationship with him, reconciling him to yourself. As you think about that, I want you to think about whether or not you love the lost who are in your life. And as you, as you uh, kind of prepare your heart to partake of the Lord's Supper, the celebration of what, what he's done on the cross for you in order to bring you into a relationship with him through faith in him. I want you to think about the application of that. Who are people that that God would delight to see in relationship with himself that he's sovereignly placed in your life? And as you pray, I want you to ask God to reveal to you those who are in your life that he's calling you to love because they have value. And ask him for forgiveness for times where you haven't valued the lost as he would call you to value the lost. I want you to think about this too. The earliest known symbol of Christianity wasn't the cross. It wasn't the fish. You know what the earliest known uh, imagery we have from Christianity was? It was a, a statue of a shepherd carrying a sheep on his shoulder. That should be the dominant imagery in our minds as we think about those in our lives that God has sovereignly placed there. A desire to see the good shepherd rescue them. And as we see the good shepherd rescue them, our hearts should respond with joy and rejoicing as we think about the worship of God that will take place. Let me just ask you now, in the quietness of your heart, to bow your heads and just spend a few moments asking for God to give you wisdom concerning those who are lost around you, asking for forgiveness in areas where that's necessary, and just preparing your hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper that represents Christ's death for you.